This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. You've tuned in to a conversation between myself and Sebastian Bentos Pereira from Beleth. Beleth have released an outstanding blackened groove effort called Silent Genesis. It's an album. Do check it out because it is available right now. So let's have a listen to what Sebastian has to say. Heads up, this is one of those conversations where we cover a whole bunch of subjects outside of music. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Well before Dicey sent through the promo, I'd already received the album through Metal Devastation PR. Okay, so it was months ago, I think. Yeah. yeah. I was impressed. I've got to say, I'm not just saying that to you. I was so impressed with what you guys were doing that I included you in my June music show. Thank you. And I get I get sent hundreds, literally, if I had to guess, it would be six or 700 new releases each month. So I, sift, I sifted through what happened through March through to May, and I, and I listened to you guys. And yeah, you're Aussie, sure, but the quality, it's it's tip top, man. And so I went, man, I, I need to include you guys uh, on this compilation because I, I need to. I, I feel mm. it. It's not an obligation, but I want to give you guys a platform to my audience, and I want to put you guys out there, man. So congratulations on to your point there, man. You didn't expect it, but here it is. Yeah, no, thank you. Like, I mean, thank you for, for saying the quality. I mean, I know Chris has got, um, a, he's got a better rig up there than I do. Everything that I've had down here was kind of like borrowed my um, my wife's computer, did the recording on just a basic garage band. Um, I had to look up a bit of YouTube um, videos on how to record and how to move things around. The microphone, I borrowed it from my, from my sister. So, for me, it was just kind of just putting, grabbing things from here and there and just trying to make do with what I could. And to hear you say that it was quality work that we both put out, it means a lot. So thank you a lot. Thank you for that. No, it's 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 uh, it's genuine. Uh, and uh, look, I know that the new album, it's called Silent Genesis. And uh, when I read, <laughs> I read a statement and I had a bit of a chuckle over it, to be honest, but not at your expense, but it said that you guys are from the east coasts of Australia. So I sort of made a joke <laughs> in my, uh, my, uh, my radio where I said we're trans-dimensional these days. There are many coasts on the east coast of Australia. So you guys obviously did this well apart from each other. Yeah, I mean, Chris is from, Chris is from uh, Gladstone up there in... In Queensland, yeah, just I'm, north of me, yeah, yeah, and I'm from I'm from um, Southwest Sydney, so we've never met, we've never seen each other, um, I've never I've never heard his voice, but he's obviously heard mine, um, and that promo video, that that promo photo that we've got of each other, it was literally him taking a photo of himself against a white wall, and myself taking a photo of of myself against the white wall here at home. And he just spliced it together. So to say we're from one from one spot is disingenuous. But yeah, East Coast of Australia is probably a general term. Same to the music. Like it's not. It's a very. Um, it's not one sound from from what we've been getting from everyone, and um, it's just been a it's been a mix and just dabbling from here and there from different genres. So a lot of it's just very, uh, what's the word, uh, generalised. It's just a generalised wording that we're doing because we haven't, for, for myself, I haven't, um, we haven't found what direction exactly we want to get go into in that aspect. So, but yeah, East Coast. <laughs> Yeah, it's it is funny. Like you'd say, you'd, you would hear people say, you know, from a town in in this in this city in this country, but East Coast, and it's just the same thing. You can be like the West Coast of America or um, South uh, South UK, just pretty yeah, general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, even though I was born in Sydney, so I'm a big supporter of the Blues. I am a Queenslander. Um, and uh, I'm going to claim you as a Queenslander too from that perspective <laughs> to, to use some state of origin parlance. Why don't we do that? Because given your bandmate is uh, in uh, Gladstone, there and you're in southwest Sydney there, and it begs a question though, how did you guys meet? How did you guys 
collaborate? How did you guys form the idea to collaborate? Uh, it, it was we met on a Facebook on a Facebook group. He put up a um, just a demo of a of this earlier song that um, we just recorded, and I got onto it as soon as I could. Tried to send him a sent him a demo. Mind you, the demo that I sent him, I was at work and I didn't have any recording equipment with me, so I had to download his song, record it from one phone and record my vocals all at a distance as well and try and match it up and then send that file over to him and he he liked it. And from that point onwards, it was just us working together and making something that we both enjoyed. We never really, you know, he never really said, I want it to be like this, or I said, I want it to be like that. It was just, hey, I've made this, here you go. And I just put something on it and a few tweaks here and there, but we generally liked everything that we gave to each other, really. That's a, that's that's so cool, man. I mean, again, the conversation uh, for people listening, they won't understand that we've had a uh, a break in the Zoom communications, so uh, we basically had to start over again. But uh, the, the, what I was saying earlier was that um, was that, or part of what I was about to say earlier, or wanted to say earlier, was that the uh, previous fellow I was talking to, they collaborated too remotely, like what you're talking about. So yep. using technology, which is the means to an end that we have to use in 2021 due to COVID, restri- COVID restrictions, but not just that, great ideas have now ba- no boundaries. Yeah. You guys yeah. can collaborate from 1,500 kilometres apart and uh, it, it, it's all cohesive evidently based on what you guys have been able to conjure here with the uh, the debut album from Belief. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's a bit surreal, but, I mean, it's true. Technology... During COVID, I think around the world, everyone's just been just gotten really creative and just tried to make do with what they could. And it's been great for the music scene. And there's been, you know, the birth of new bands and um, some bands being able to make new material. So, I mean, it is sort of like a blessing in disguise amongst all this, all the shit that's gone down. but it, you know, it's this. If there wasn't this technology, I, I think it would have been a little bit difficult for most bands to even do anything musically. It would just be very uh, in their box and not being able to expand and, you know, go out of it, out of their own realm, to, mm. to say. Mate, it's a. I reckon the album is just a. It's a killer, brutal slab of ironclad, grooving death. And you've just got some killer mid-pace sections and your vocals are perfectly matched to what uh, is going on with the music. So it sounds like you guys are focused on on the heaviness. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Um, I mean, from what Chris has told me, he's, he's come from a background more of a – more of a death metal, thrash metal sort of um, aspect. I've grown up um, myself more from the metalcore scene and then I've slowly graduated into sort of like a deathcore sort of um, genre. Mm-hmm. And I've always been, I've always liked the heavies. Like, don't get me wrong, I like I like um, some melodic stuff. I like generally anything that's good sounds good you know it could be pop it could be um uh old school rap it could be my own background is Mm. south South american so i still pop on a few um latin songs sing them here and there a bit of a dance but the heavy is always where i find myself at home and for chris to be able to bring his style but somewhere within my realm i think it's helped us both come to a come to um, a balance of where we where we like obviously we could probably expand on it a bit more which we're which we've already we're already in the talks of doing another another album soon and Mm. writing and recording stuff and we want to make it a bit bigger and a bit longer than the first one so we'll see how that one pans out really did you grow up in southwestern sydney yeah, pretty much I've lived my whole life here uh, since my parents moved out from 
South America. My dad from Uruguay and my mum from Chile. Mm-hmm. Um, they met here and I've moved around a fair bit, um, but I've always pretty much stayed within the southwest Sydney area. It's pretty much been my, where I've grown up, lived my life, really. So southwest Sydney, Sydney to me, certainly, um, God, I hope I can say this, I get access to some of the crime and statistics and stuff, and it's a pretty brutal place at times. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, a lot of the media won't cover it because there's a racial angle and all that sort of bullshit, but they, they won't go there because they're afraid of being called racist. But it is a tough place to grow up if if you're caught. In the, I know in the day-to-day probably nothing wrong happens, but when things can go south, they can go seriously south. And yeah. I'm going to make I'm going to make an assumption here that as a heavy metal fan, you found yourself on the outer occasionally. Yeah, it was listening to the type of stuff that I was listening to when I was a bit younger. It was out of the out of the ordinary. Um, mm. Anyone that listened to any alternative or heavy music was kind of like we had to find sort of certain places where we could meet up. It wasn't just um, it wasn't as popular as it would be now to say around Southwest Sydney, maybe it was to the older generation, I guess, but I I wouldn't have known. Um, But yeah, it was, you get different looks. I mean, the way that I look, I know I've got a bit of a middle, I look Middle Eastern. Mm. I'm South American, but I like heavy metal. So I would get a lot from family members and people that know me, like, why are you listening to that? Shouldn't you be listening to hip hop? Shouldn't you be listening to, you know, um, reggae? I was like, yeah, I do, but I also like this. I prefer this more than that, but I can still listen to both. But I mean, Southwest Sydney is not, it is rough, especially if you're not from the areas around here. But I mean, for me, um, you know, seeing a group of guys walking around, the streets for me it was pretty normal that like um 10 11 o'clock at night two in the morning i do deliveries up north sydney and i see a guy walking in the middle of the streets and that's that's a pretty rich area if i see a guy walking the streets three in the morning he's not he's not going out there he's doing something shady for sure now do you you know people it, it was normal for me out here but up there it's a bit strange for me because you see all these big, rich houses and you see one guy just walking the streets alone at three in the morning. It's a bit shady for me. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, no, I was educated in Sydney, so I understand uh, where you're coming from. Um, but Southwest Sydney just has that, um, it's got nothing to do with the vibe. It is all about the statistics and from Bankstown through to Liverpool, mm. it's a very tough area. If you're basically, I mean, I understand your perspective that, um you know, you might look like you're Middle Eastern, but uh, you're not. And uh, mm. they can pe- people who are Middle Eastern can pick that up within sort of five seconds or so. Yes. You don't have yeah. the accent. No. And they know that. No. And and, they, they, and I get that they can see that straight away. Yeah, yeah they, they can see they can see that I'm not Middle Eastern. They can pick it up, but th- there's a bit of a doubt there. I, I would still get some older men come up to me and ask me something and then say Arabic or something. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd be like, I'm sorry, I don't speak, I don't speak Arabic or I don't, I don't know what you're saying. I'm, I'm South American. Um, and I get, I still get it now sometimes. Um, not as much because I'm not living in that area anymore. Cause I actually was, um, just like a suburb away from Liverpool, but I would go to Liverpool, uh, for high school. So I would I would get it a lot, but yeah, it's still that people who aren't uh, people who aren't Middle Eastern if they're not tuned into tell. what's going on there, yeah, they don't understand what it's like in southwestern Sydney. It's a very unique part of the world, and it's got something like two million people in it. It's a yeah. huge area, massive area at the moment, and it's a growing area too. That's the other thing. Oh, yeah, I mean, what in the last. 10 years, everything's just blown up. Like Liverpool used to be just a smaller city and now it's just, you know, everything, the infrastructure is just booming everywhere. Um, I mean, that airport, that Badgerys Creek, they've been talking about building that for years, yeah, for, for decades. But I mean, years, yeah. But now the roads are starting to be built out. Um, I remember driving down um, Camden Valley Way and Bring Early Road, there were no lights down there. Now, big three-lane 
highways, massive lights, you know, houses and um, servers are starting to build up there. So you can tell that eventually people are going to start moving out there. I mean, house prices are insane, but people are still buying. That's the thing. It doesn't matter how how high they get, people will still buy. That's That's the thing that I don't get sometimes. How does the area influence your lyrics then and what goes your philosophy around lyric writing? Um, the area, not really much. The area doesn't really influence me much um, per se, but it was more sort of a, the upbringing really. Um, my mother's always been very superstitious and my dad was uh, very spiritual. So mm. it was from my mother's side was a lot of don't do this, don't do that. That's very, um, goes against God. That's, you know, that's the the devil here and there. And like Chris, the occultish stuff, the that demonology and all that, that always interested me. And, um, and just I saw, you know, the music, like this music scene touched a lot on that darker side. And it was very, it was very appealing to me. Not to the sense of, you know, I want to live my whole life into that, but just reading things here and there, I think that drew me into it and that's where I kind of drew some of my inspiration. Um, the last couple of years have been very into H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. Oh, nice. um, and, and from that, I kind of drew a bit of inspiration for this album. Um, and just kind of wrote sort of like a fictional um, telling to myself, really. Mm. Never thought anyone else, never thought anyone else would listen to it. But, I mean, here we are, really. Yeah, yeah, no, it's fantastic, man. I mean, the other point, there's a, you know, just just to round out the discussion about growing up in southwestern Sydney, but, uh, man, with what you're doing, it must have been a very individual pursuit, meaning that there wouldn't have been a lot of people around you from which to draw inspiration. So it must have been your own thoughts and philosophies and the direction that you wanted to go in, which which gave you this killer vocal ability you clearly got and also this this lyrical sensibility that you have. Lyrically, lyrically there were a few people that I know in my life that are into um, sort of the same thing that I am. Like, I mean, my wife... Um, uh, she loves horror movies and her, one of her favourite shows were Supernatural and we could bond over that and I loved, I remember watching the first episode of Supernatural, Supernatural that was the Wendigo and just that that episode kind of stuck with me up until now, like just the, just the whole, the whole law behind that and I've got um, a mate's mate's girlfriend that she's very into the exact same things that I am, like Lovecraft. And then I've actually gotten her, um, I've asked her if she could draw me up a few things so maybe we can start putting putting it on merch and um, I can sit down with her and kind of bounce ideas off to kind of see where we go because she's very into that. But, I mean, I've had a few people here and there. And, I mean, one of my best mates, any time that I've got some doubt or – that um, I'm like, does this sound good? Or like, what would fit in here? He would come in and listen, and be like, oh, try this. How about doing this? And he'd help me through that. So I'd, I'd have that support. I mean, my wife as well, she's been very supportive. She doesn't listen to this type of music, but I mean, she's been very supportive with um, with everything I've been doing. Like, whenever she, whenever she can take the kids so I can do a bit of recording at home. Um, you know, sharing and just telling her mates and people that she thinks might like music. She's just been very supportive there. Dude, that's so cool. you got kids as well. I've got two daughters, so I'm with you. And my, my wife is, uh, well, I, I guess I, my wife's half Filipino, half Croatian, okay, and oh. not into this music at all, believe me. But is your wife, what background has your wife got? She was born, she was born here, actually born uh, Brisbane, I think it was. Yeah. Somewhere in Brisbane. But her family's from uh, from England, around uh, from Liverpool area, actually. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So, yeah. 
Nice. Okay. So, so you got that support there. That's it. Has to come from somewhere, doesn't it? You know, yeah. The parental yeah. support, or in your case here, you know, you're, you're living a life on your own two feet, no doubt with a mortgage and all of that sort of stuff, or renting, and uh, yeah, you, you got the kids there. But and I mean, that's the thing. It's our dream, isn't it? And it's our dream to express ourselves creatively, yeah. and uh, and you're doing it through this this raucous, um, you know, this this grooving death black metal thing that you've got going on, you know. But I mean, is is, is this something that you've always wanted to do? Yeah, um, this has been oh, since I think since I first discovered Slipknot and watched the watched the um, disaster. Disaster piece um, live set at London. Okay. Just watching, just watching the whole stage presence of the band and um, the crowd interaction. That kind of put in my head that this is something that I want to do in my life. Um, I mean, even if it's to a room of five people or five thousand people, like it doesn't matter. Like, always wanted to do that, and I think. Musically, I think I get that a lot from my dad. He he's always loved music. He's always played the guitar. Um, so I think I get my musical love from him in that mm-hmm. aspect. Um, but yeah, we've. I think I've done. Never really played any shows. I've got uh, got a few mates together, and we played in you know sort of like a garage in the back of my garage got some kids and just kind of just pissed around but we never got anything serious um then I kind of stopped because it, I did get a bit uh what's, what's the word um kind of lost interest because I thought maybe maybe this isn't for me then I slowly started um practicing my vocals saying a few YouTube videos on trying to do different styles Mm-hmm. styles that wouldn't hurt my voice and I could, you know, do this for a longer time. Um, maybe hopefully even if my kids wanted to even learn it, I could show them and teach them. And then COVID happened and um, here we are. looking online. <laughs> yeah, saw Chris yeah. and here we are. Yeah. <laughs> it, has there been a strategy for the marketing side of things? Because as I say, I'm on um, – Zach Moonshine and Metal Devastation PR's mailing list. So I got this a while ago. And then Dicey sent it through as well. And honestly, Dicey's a great advocate for anybody. Dicey and Miller down there at uh, in, uh, in, in Sydney, he's in Brookvale, I think, with his, uh, okay. his studio there. But um, to get that co-sign, I basically have a rule, and I've got to be honest here, people on the podcast have heard me say this before, but uh, I get sent a lot of you call it unsolicited material. I just see people send me stuff, whatever. Yep. And I get a lot of requests to appear on the show. And I've got to be honest, I don't take a lot of it. And the reason for that is a lot of the Australian stuff that I've done over the past few years, um, I, if you just find that there's not quite, it's not about professionalism, but you just want to, from my perspective, I just want to see that cosign meaning you've got Dicey in your corner. He supports mm. you guys and believes in you guys. That's yeah. a hell of a green tick, man. Yeah. It's basically saying, man, I mean, he he to me is like a, there's a couple of guys. There's Chris Murray, there's John Howarth, um, you know, Lachlan Watt, obviously, who takes care of the racket or whatever three hours of power is called these, I forget, you know, yeah. um, Andrew Hogue. But you've got one of those guys, like the upper echelon of heavy metal in Australia who's supporting you guys. So, I mean, to, to get that so quickly from the sounds of things, man, you're clearly doing something right and you're obviously feeling that too. So just to go back to my original question there about, you know, how, how do you spread the word? Has it been easy for you to spread the word? Look, honestly, that's been Chris and Chris has done fantastic with that. I mean, he's he's played in bands before and he's had some connections um, in the past and I think from that he's been able to um, use that as a stepping stone to be able to go to people that he knows and then from there move on to um, other places and he just did he just went very old school just sent out sent out um, copies and sent out emails to anyone and everyone he could and whoever got back to us and I think it's just been lucky um, 
I think it's just been luck, really, that anyone's liked anything that we've done. Um, and to hear you say Dicey liked it, and he's actually, I see it for me, because of COVID and because I was away from doing this for a while, to hear that Dicey's actually one of the, as you call him, top echelon people of heavy metal, heavy music in Australia. I didn't know that. So hearing you say it first is a bit of a, a bit of a shock to me. And it, it means, okay, we've done something good that someone like him would actually like our stuff. And I think that's just been more luck. But how everything's been going out and how we've been marketed, it's all been Chris. He's done all that behind-the-scenes stuff and he's done that perfectly. I think it would be a lot of his background and a lot of his past experience with playing in other bands. He's been able to do that. Um, so he's been the big I mean, doing all the instruments, the mixing, and then he's done the PR for the band. I mean, the, the guy's a workhorse, really. Is your, uh, is your mother, being from Chile, is she very Catholic? She was raised Catholic. Um, she's gone through, a, I don't know what faith she is now, but she grew up Catholic. Um, but she's always been very religious in that yeah. aspect. Um she, she left mainly Chile because of the poverty and uh, more of the uh, the dictatorship that was there mm -hmm. at the time. Yeah, so she, yeah, so she didn't want that for for her kids, and she could see a lot of people disappearing. Yeah, suffering big time. Yeah, yeah a lot of suffering so, going on Chile. Yeah, so she, yeah, religiously for her, like, she try. She's even now she still tries to. You know, um, not not preach to us, but kind of just put a bit of the faith on us, very very slightly um, and subtly, but it's still there to this day. Mm -hmm. um, but growing up, I never, I never took to it. Um, I always saw it as, and I mean, I like to believe that there is something out there but he's not or it's not it doesn't care to say really that's so true brother i've felt the same way for so long i'm so glad you say that it's it's just an ambivalent force it doesn't give a shit it, it holds everything together but it looks on us with with almost like pious indifference if i can use that term i know that's kind of a contradiction but you know, there is a reverence to things, but it is an indifference at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you, I don't want to say that it's not there because you can't, with science, you can't disprove it and you can't prove it. So to say it's not there is disingenuous, but to say it's there isn't also true. So my own belief, I'd like to think that there's something there, but it's doing its own thing. We're doing our own thing you know and for people for people to preach about religion i mean there are some certain there are some certain aspects to every religion that is good it has its it has its positives but there's a lot of negative negative aspects to it and the one thing that i don't agree upon is if you follow a faith why do you need to go to a certain place to worship mm -hmm. that that being, if that being is everywhere, that doesn't make sense. Why would you have to pour money into it, build and erect statues and monuments if he is everywhere? If he's in your home, in the trees, in the air, why do you have to go and put money into it? Why would you try and help other people? No, so. But that's my that's my belief, and I think a bit of that comes off um, in a bit of my music, especially with especially with Firstborn. Um, I want when I first wrote that, I kind of saw myself as being the aspects of the song ties in as a, uh, an evil entity fighting Egyptian gods. 
and a lot of the a lot of the wording in it is very it has a lot of egyptian words in it like gods and um is that about set set the god set you know the the great receiver yeah nice yeah yeah um and so but and i think that in my mind i envisioned it as a battle between sort of evil eldritch beings and egyptian gods but when i listened to it a couple of times i could see that it's my my personal faith or beliefs against my mother's personal beliefs because she's very into she she's very into the egyptian culture as well and i think that's where i pulled a bit of that from it was just that sort of What's when monotheism started like, through Akhenaten yeah. and, and Ra, you know, that's where it all started, you know, through through Islam, through even, yeah. uh, even uh, I think under, under, I understand Buddhist belief. Uh, I mean, mm. it all comes from Hinduism, right? It all mm. comes from Sanskrit and Hinduism, but it's then just been disseminated. And then the, uh, I almost feel like a monotheism, if I can say this is a corruption in some yeah. ways, because it's just... I believe in the very simplistic perspective that there's just too much to do for one God. You know, it's yeah, a manifestation of many thoughts. You know, I mean, having having ideology, having ideas and all that—that's fine. But saying that you have to follow this book. I mean, like the books weren't written by you know a higher being. They were all written by man, and man is flawed. We make mistakes. So how can you trust something that someone and also with thousands of years of of translation and mistranslation and you know converting it from one language to another, you're gonna lose it's just Chinese whispers the whole way. It is. It is just Chinese whispers and it's whoever has the dominant narrative. We know that through history that it's not about what happened. It's about the victor writing the history books. That's you know, true. Egypt, I'm a massive, uh, I wouldn't call myself a student of ancient Egypt, Egypt, but I'm, I'm intensely interested. Okay, maybe it's maybe I'm a student then. But um, the point being that I can't remember which crypt it was, but recently, only recently, they've found mm. a crypt, so a tomb. In other words, and of course they they've gone into it and they've found they've, they've found all the treasures or whatever was left of the treasures after the, whatever the grave robbers left. But uh, it's a historical fact that the grave robbers never touched the uh, hieroglyphs. There's no point. There's no value in scrubbing them off or what have you. But all of these hieroglyphs are switched off, and and just big rock marks all the way through them. It's like what the hell went on there? To my understanding, they did some dating on when that that those scratches were basically made. Okay, it was at the same time that they appeared. So basically, as soon as the individual died, and his great worthiness was carved into stone or in picture by these um, these hieroglyphs, whoever yeah. was next went and went. You know what? Fuck it. Let's just scrub it all off. And this is three thousand years ago. Okay, so it's propaganda. Mm. Effectively, this propaganda appears in the form of hieroglyphs. The next yep. pharaoh or the next ruler, the priest or whatever it might be, comes along and goes, let's get rid of that. We'll scratch it all off or we'll try to scratch it all off. Maybe they got interrupted halfway through. But, I mean, history is is truly outside of what we can find and, and like, scientifically verify. If it comes through human hands or word of mouth, I'm not saying it's bullshit. It's just law. That's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. It's not fact. It's a lot. If it's a lot of it's just word of mouth. It's just how you hear it, and how can you how can you trust that? Where's your source, really? So, mate, you you, you can't, and uh, there's no point in trying. I think, which is which is uh, why it's interesting looking at uh, the way people argue over politics on Facebook <laughs> Messenger, not yeah. Messenger, but on comment sections and whatever. Yeah. And, uh, in the Daily Telegraph or Sydney Telegraph or Sydney Morning Herald or Courier Mail for me, you know, this sort of thing. I subscribe to all of them, yep. the news media. But um, I look at the comment sections and I just think, dear God, we have not evolved at all. We have no. not evolved. We pick a side because we're tribal and we 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 mm. espouse that narrative because we believe it, not because we know it's fact. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's true. We're, we're very tribal, so we like to pick a side and. We kind of, you know, we kind of cast down anyone that doesn't pick a side more than someone who opposes the other side. 
it's it is very it is very strange in that, in that sense. I can see that you've got there a Rode NT USB mic. It's in the corner there, my left hand corner there, right there. Yeah, that yeah. one there. Yeah. So that's that's the mic that you've used to record all the vocals. Yes, this is the one that I've borrowed from my sister, and I've um, I've recorded everything. It came with a pop um, pop filter as well. Yeah, correct. I've so, got the same one. Yeah. Oh, okay. I've yeah. got that one, and I don't know whether you can see this one here, but I've got the Rody Micro, uh, Rody Podcaster, which has just been brilliant for this stuff. But on the road, I use that one there because it's so versatile. Uh, well, I, this one I used. This one I used for recording the whole album. Um, just I didn't think it was the right mic, but I just tried to make it work however I could. Um, that was a that was just a lot of changing settings and trying to position myself differently with this mic because I know this is more for a podcast mic than it is a recording. But it recording still works mic. so clearly. I mean, it, it works great. I mean, it still worked. Um, so. I'll, if I could, I'll, I'll use it again for certain things. But I did, I did get one for uh, for Christmas. I, did, I got a new mic, and I can't remember what it is. It's one of those content creators package. So um, it's one with the light that comes with it as well. Is it is that that one, or is it you know the bright light that comes with it from JB? Have you seen those packages? Uh no, I don't think it's that. It's the one that's got the. What is it? It comes with an arm. It's a CUSB attachment. I uh, can't remember. It's not this one, is it? Because this one, can you see that? That's got the arm and everything on it. The arm looks identical, and it looks sort of like uh, sort of like your mic. But there's quite, there's a there's a panel on the actual mic at the front of it. Oh, okay, where can, yeah. Where, where you can jack yeah. into it and change the volumes. Um, but it there's no. Be, is it Rody? Is it made by Rody as well, or made by somebody I th- else? I think it might be Rody, but I'm not 100 percent sure. I'd have to. I know have to most check. of the Rody stuff, and I, that, that, that doesn't come to mind. But it might be there. It just might not be that I've seen it. That's all. But but look, the fact that you're using Rody equipment says says a lot, though, because I, I don't know whether as a uh, I'm in the same boat here. So when I say this, you know, um, you know, we're, we're, we're hobbyists effectively. Uh, and what we what we're doing, I don't think Rody make better product than what we can afford. Mm, yeah, from what I've seen, they've it's pretty pretty good quality for for a budget. Um, I mean, I, I, I've looked at getting. I think the I think the best the best market I've seen out now for you know for harsh vocals and for growling and screaming would be the um, the SM fifty eight. SM58, but I don't know whether I can bring this over, but where is it? That's what I use as well. So that's my other setup. That's what yep. I do for voiceover work. But I'm, I'm a I'm a musician too, so I do a lot of singing. And uh, mate, the SM58, you just cannot even for this. To be honest with you, it beats the shit out of even this and the one that mm. you're using. And because I've got that one, but the SM58, once you've got a Scarlet 2.1 or like yep. what, two two i two whatever it is, um, I mean, it's just not as practical as what I'm doing now. That's why I yeah. use this. But in terms of sound quality, mate, it is like like using Premiere Pro, which is what I use for the podcast mm. and stuff, and then I like laying over some filters and stuff on it. Man, it's just amazing the sound that it comes out with. Yeah, I, everyone swears. By, like I'm in a community group on Facebook that is just about vocals, and you know, people will throw up questions: What is the best mic for this and that? What what mic's best for this price range and it always goes back to the, the SM8 um, that, yeah that you know this is the best one that you can get but you know here are budget ones and I mean for, it's all over the world so you know try and test it all over yeah the SM58 as far as I'm concerned is the Toyota Camry of microphones, meaning that it does everything, and you'll see it on the road in twenty years' time after someone's bought it without a service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's just it's just incredible what it can do. I mean, my one's bent; it's been dropped. It's literally got a like a flat bit on it from where it's been dropped on the ground, and <laughs> someone stepped on it through, through all the mini gigs that I've done. But it's still going, you know. And there's no point, mate. Until it dies, I've got a backup. But until it dies, what the hell's the point in changing? I'm just buying the same technology over again. It hasn't changed since the 80s. Did you did you buy the backup or did it come with it? No, I bought the backup only because I do I used to be 
like pre-COVID, I was gigging like two or three times a week. Yeah. And look, shit, I, I've seen people at gigs pour beer into effects racks and stuff. I've seen people do the stupidest mm. things drunk you could imagine, play with pedals and stuff. And my theory was always that if someone grabbed it and, I, you know, without being too crude, shoved it up their ass, which meant that I couldn't use it, <laughs> that, that I could just put the back up in. And the key point is sound the same. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Depending on how inebriated or otherwise I was, of course. But I'm talking about it sound the same from a sonic perspective. You know, it was always yeah, yeah. me after that. You know. Yeah, um, no, I get I get what you're saying. Yeah, and they're, they're 200 bucks or 300 bucks. They're not that much ultimately for something mm. that lasts as long as what it does. Yeah, true. I mean, you've gotten your money out of it several times over, I guess. Mm. Hey, just just about the music again. Have you got much interest from overseas? Given given, let's face it, black death metal and this sort of stuff you're doing is probably more popular in South America, Mexico. Mexico's huge for this stuff. Actually, actually, funny enough, you um, say that we've gotten a lot of attention from um, from overseas, from from South America, um, Mexican, uh, Italian. Um, oh, what was the other one? Spain. Actually, yeah, um, we got a we got a request from someone from France for a signed autograph, nice. which is which is yeah, that's strange sweet. for us. So, but I mean, yeah, we've gotten um, we've gotten a bit of bit of uh, playtime and review from um, America, Germany actually as well. Germany's big on it as well. We've gotten a few reviews and a few play on there, but it's been worldwide that we've gotten a lot of the attention from Australia has been good, but the, everywhere else yeah. has been a lot, a lot bigger. Look, I find that with the podcast too. Like I've got to say my audience share is, my audience is growing. My Australian audience share is diminishing down to where I think it's under 10% these days. Mm. So 90% of my audience, which is growing is offshore. Mm. And I'm trust me, I am trying, okay, mm. because the marketing and sponsorship opportunities actually come through a domestic audience, not through an international yeah. audience. Yeah, but uh, it's 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 as I say, it's not that my audience share is growing and my Australian share is static. It's it's decreasing. Mm. <laughs> and I'm interviewing, like prior to yourself, I mean, I'm interviewing the guys in Halloween, Eric Rutan from Hate Eternal, Morbid Angel, Cannibal Corpse. I can't be doing more no, than, yeah. than what it is that I'm doing in, in terms of the, the vast majority of people I interview aren't Australian, okay? They're internationally based. And you think a lot of Aussies. I do. I love interviewing people like yourself. Trust me, it's, it's a, mm. a real passion of mine to support Australian music. Mm. But, but a lot of it... And I've got to say, man, a lot of it just a lot of it isn't quite there yet. Like you know, no. you guys are there, but some of it isn't. So a lot of it isn't there either that I get contacted for interviews with offshore. But when it isn't there with Australian audiences, they seem to have that tall poppy syndrome and they go after you. They sort of mm. cut you down a bit on social media and start shit talking you a bit. And it's like, yeah. why are you, why are you doing that? I mean, we're fucking just. It's a small scene in Australia. It's not like what it is in South America or Mexico or the United States. Of Australia. Yeah, no. I mean. <laughs> For, for the type of music that we're playing, it is very, it's not as big here. And I think a lot of it has to do with everywhere else has that history where not bigger bands, but, you know, more more of this type of music would go there than Australia, I feel. Mm. Um, and that's why the love is still there for a lot of the people that like, it's just gone through generation, generation, and it's just stayed in that big community. Whereas here, I mean, even, even when we get big um, festivals or shows in Australia, it doesn't cover all of Australia. You know, you mm -hmm. get you, you get your Brisbane, you get your Sydney, Melbourne, some, and maybe Perth, if, if you're lucky, maybe yeah. if you're lucky Perth, I mean, but other than that, no one else tours anywhere else around Australia. The only one, the one that I give props to, the one band that I give props to that did well, and I hold them very, very, very dear to my heart, is Parkway Drive. What they did for themselves and for, you know, smaller communities to play smaller shows and rural shows, not only in Australia but other countries, I have not seen from anyone else. 
the way that they did it, just living on a bus, um, sleeping wherever they could, going to small, small towns, small venues, going to countries that no one's played in. I mean, they played in in, in India, in some some um, oh, what was it? From what I remember, the the floorboards there was just pieces of wood covering you know a two foot drop down. If yeah. you fell, you'd break your ankle. Yeah, but I yeah. mean, going to places like that, like. They're very cool dudes. I met them a couple of times, um, and they've all, they've always remembered me and my mate and the shows that they put. I know it's not the same music to what I'm doing, but they've been a big inspiration and a big uh, driving force for me to be able to do what they've done, and hopefully be able to do. Hopefully, I mean, I mean, this started out as a hobby. And it's blown up, but if I can do a fraction of what they did, I think I'd be happy with what I leave music-wise, because Australia needs more, needs a bigger scene. It needs more to expand a bit more, give a bit more love to Perth. I don't, I'm not sure about Darwin. I don't even hear well, anyone play anything. Don't get there. You, you're right, no. and, and I totally agree with what you're saying about at Parkway Drive and. King Parrot were another band that did something. They have recently yeah. done something similar, playing in Cairns, playing, I think, mm. Darwin too. But you're right. It's like, guys, these these might not be territories from the perspective that you can grow your audience share massively there, but it says a lot about your commitment to spreading the word mm. and playing these places. Like, if you're playing Brisbane, I, I, I don't know. I haven't done it before, but I'd love to know as a percentage of the cost of the overall tour, if you're touring all of Australia's major cities, how mm. much it costs extra to include Darwin, okay? Mm. Because it just isn't being done, for example. And, uh, look, I've spoken to bands that have played, uh, you know, you're talking about your, your fellow bandmate Chris there being from Gladstone and stuff. I've spoken to every band, every member of a band that I've spoken to that's done gigs in regional Australia, including, and Gladstone has come up, has said how much fun they've had and how great the response mm. was. There's money to be made is what I'm saying. You can yeah. do it. I'm not talking about you're not going to become Clive Palmer, but I'm just no. saying like no. you, you, you're going to break you're going to break even on costs is what I'm saying. I'm sure of that. But I mean, having having getting the experience and getting the feedback and you know putting out to that community, you know. Um, stepping outside of the norm and going to them rather than them coming to you mm. it would leave a lasting impression, you know, and if it repeats, you know, then you've, you know, for, for them and for yourself and others um, down the track, you create something that can blossom there for future generations, like for future musical generations. And, you know, you can inspire more people to do the same thing or, you know, go something down the same or similar track, really. But yeah, you're right. It's it's not. You might break even, but it's not. It's not about the money. It's, it shouldn't. It should never be about the money. It should just be having fun and just you know having it as an experience. Really, that's what it should be about. Like the music. Jesus. Well, regional, you good? You're good? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just antiviral software and all that. Oh, right. up. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, music, I think, is about – I've long championed regional areas, you know. I'm not from one, you know. Uh, I couldn't call the Gold Coast a regional area, but mm. it, it has echoes of it, I suppose, in some ways, in that no major band plays Gold Coast. They play Brisbane. But, mm. I mean, it's only at, at max 100 k's away. Is you yeah. have to travel to Boondle to the entertainment centre or QPAC yeah. in the city or what have you. So that's not that big a deal. But playing and supporting regional environments is always something that I saw bands doing growing up in the 90s mm. because it was, I mean, you can play 17 dates. You can easily play 17, 17 dates in Australia mm. if, you, if, you, if you're willing to put the legwork in. And if, yeah. you, if you basically, I mean, you wouldn't be staying in five-star accommodation. We get that. But work out someone's place to stay in all of this was DIY stuff. I remember, yeah. I'll never forget trying to help a guy in the States just through spreading the word, not through doing anything else apart from being a journalist. But he had a company called Tour Vival, 
and mm. didn't last. And it was all about DIY punk and metal bands being able to source accommodation in cities so they could play there. And then mm. you built up, I think it was like a point system, you built up points for how many times you did that. And I, I don't know how the monetary reward worked. Maybe that was the issue, the, the system there. But but it was all about connecting people in cities so that they could play there, but most importantly have somewhere to sleep which wasn't on the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's fantastic. You solve that problem, man. You can get metal bands and punk bands into regional Australia. And you guys, and this is the, the ultimate final question for you, though, but the, the live front, is there an intention to bring the music to the people that one? Yeah, um, I'd like to, uh, from like myself, and I'd probably advocate for it, but I, I'd like to be able to do that, get it out to regionally, like people out regionally. Um, I mean, especially now, especially now with the technology, you could, you know, plan ahead of time. So it's not so jarring to the people there and to people around. So it might be, it might be, you know, financially um, um, good for the band, even if it's just a fraction. But like I said, it's, that's not the important part, but organising it, it would be a lot easier nowadays to do that um, rather than word of mouth and, you know, you, you build communities and not just Australia, but you, you could take that elsewhere well, once all this bullshit blows over be able to do that and do the same thing out there, you know, it would be ideal to be able to do that. Really. I, I can't speak for Chris, um, but for myself, it would be something that I would like to do. Hopefully, hopefully in the future soon. What do you think? I told you that was a worthy conversation with an emerging musician from Southwestern Sydney. Beleth is the name of the band. Sebastian Bentos Pereira is a fellow you just heard from. If you enjoyed that conversation, please like, subscribe and share, or even better, leave a comment. I'd appreciate that. If you want to listen to many more conversations just like that one, go across to scarsandguitars.com where over 550 more await. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast series. It's goodbye for now.